we know when a species is under threat or whether their numbers are stabilising or even, in some rare occasions, increasing? Observing and documenting out on the field is uh, labour-intensive, hence expensive, but thanks to a growing band of citizen scientists, the information needed to make assessments of uh, the state of biodiversity in Australia is being meticulously gathered. To tell us more about the rise and rise of the citizen scientists, what they do and how you might get involved, we're joined by Dr Erin Roger. Erin is the sector lead of the Atlas of Living Australia at CSIRO, or more formally, the CSIRA. G'day, Erin. Would you be kind enough to introduce us to the citizen science? A, a bit of a definition, please. Yeah, absolutely. It's It's great to be here. So citizen science, put simply, is when the public participate in scientific research, and that can be any kind of science, from astronomy to ecology to chemistry or human health. Simple as that. Now, there's been an extraordinary growth of this uh, phenomenon in the last decade or so. How do you explain the rise and rise of citizen scientists? Yeah, it's been pretty phenomenal. So citizen science isn't new. Um, it's been around um, for you know more than a century. So there's examples of citizen science projects like the Christmas bird count operating in the United States. It's um, more than 100 years old. But I think what's changed the game has really been our access to smartphones and the ability to um, take a picture or a sound recording and have an automatic time and date stamp attached to it. And then, of course, with those smartphones come access to all sorts of different recording apps that have made the observation and the collection of data that's that much easier. Was it also perhaps uh, exonerated by COVID? You're absolutely right, actually. Um, and there's some good data from projects that you um, can do at home, such as the uh, Digival project, which is run by the Australian Museum, where you can do lots of different tasks, but using your, your desktop computer. So whether that's transcribing historical uh, weather records or identifying species in remote camera images, those sorts of activities absolutely took off during COVID, added the, as did things such as the, the backyard bird count because many of us were, weren't going far from home. Erin, it's not just here in Australia. We're talking about a global phenomenon. Yeah, that's true. Um, and, you know, there's some some real leaders. I think Australia is actually a leader. We punch well above our weight in terms of citizen science participation. And that's reflected in things like the number of scientific publications that have citizen science that are coming out from Australia and um, our numbers on sort of popular biodiversity recording apps. But globally, there's um, certainly very strong programs and participation throughout Europe. Uh, throughout uh, North America, so Canada and the US. Um, and of course, lots of um, really amazing programs run out of different countries within Africa and, and South America. So it truly is a, a global phenomenon. What, uh, well, what sort of species are most popular with our citizen scientists? It's definitely birds. 
So um, I'm a birder myself, and um, you know, it was it's a long tradition. I think Australia and globally of of recording and observing birds. I mentioned the Christmas uh, bird count earlier. So in the Atlas of Living Australia, about half of our records, so half of our observational records, and we have a total of 135 million are bird species. And I think that that reflects people's interest and enthusiasm. And the species that Australians actually record the most is the Australian magpie, which is interesting. And I understand plants come in second at 31%. <laughs> yeah, pretty close to that. People tend to favour large, brightly coloured and charismatic species. Yeah, you're absolutely right. And so whether that's birds or butterflies or many of our mammals, um, those are, are, are well represented within the Atlas of Living Australia. So I think attention is now turning to how can we motivate and encourage and direct citizen scientists that are very enthusiastic to um, make observations of the insects or other taxa that might be less well represented. Because I think I understand really that I understand that fungus has fewer friends. <laughs> yeah, it does. There are some great um, projects out there that are trying to change that. There's a, a project called Fungi Map. Um, and so there are some avid fungi enthusiasts and definitely some beautiful photographers um, that are observing our fungi. But you're right that they do need some more friends. It's not just information about Australia. The data collected feeds into an international database. Yeah, that's right. So the Atlas of Living Australia, we aggregate data from all these different sources. So we have over 850 data providers. And then we provide that data to a global database that's called the Global Biodiversity Information Facility, which pulls in observational data from all over the world. And so if you go to that site, it's this amazing map of the world um, showing all these data hotspots throughout. So... Open access is uh, is central to the whole project. It really is, and I think that that's what's made such a difference. Um, so before the, the Atlas of Living Australia, everyone had a lot of data, obviously, and we all had it on our individual laptops or, you know, on spreadsheets. And what the ALA has enabled is to have this sharing of data and access to data. And so anyone can log in. Um, and find that information. And I think that's really important. And the availability of that data, um, it can lead to all sorts of different sort of research and questions that was never possible before. Tell me about the this wonderful Atlas of Living Australia. Describe it. Yeah, so... The Atlas of Living Australia is a, a, Australia's largest biodiversity data aggregator. We were founded in 2010, so just over, I guess, 13 years old now. We're hosted, as you said, by the CSIRO. And what we do is we pull data in from all different sources. So we pull it in from museums and collections and industry, government, uh, research, and of course, importantly, citizen science. And what we're seeing now is, is as, as we said, is this, this tremendous growth in citizen science. And so we had a look at how many data um, records we pulled in just last year alone. And so we, we pulled in about 10 million 
biodiversity observational records uh, last year, and 96% were contributed by citizen science. So it's it's huge. Very huge. <laughs> and uh, and the, the data collected, uh, can I understand, help in the early detection of invasive species? Yeah, that's something that we're just starting to explore is the power and the potential of citizen science to be uh, more eyes and ears on the ground, if you will, for invasive species, their biosecurity. And we're actually it's actually having some amazing results. So we've established a, an alert system where if something comes into the ALA that's on um, a list of interest to different sort of biosecurity agencies, then we'll send them an email alert um, that that species has been detected. As an aprist, I was deeply distressed by the arrival of the Varroa mite. Did the ALA help with uh, this? So we've got a lot of data on on bees, but we don't actually have that information about hives. And we've actually been considering that and how that information might have been able to help in those early stages in particular. Because yes, that's I mean that's a great example of um, one of the concerns with biosecurity and how quickly different diseases and pests and mites can spread. I understand that the what we might describe as the uh, the regular scientific community isn't entirely enthusiastic. What are, what are the concerns? Yeah, you're absolutely right. Although I do think there's been a real shift in that perception, particularly of late, and and I think that shift has come as as researchers and scientists have looked at this data and and seen, you know, the possibilities that this could bring to to improve and and forward research, if you will. But early concerns were definitely around data quality. Um, so the rigor of the observations, um, the validity of, say, if it was a species, if it was identified as something, they were concerned that perhaps it was actually something else. And so there, there were concerns and, and, and the concerns remain. But I think as citizen science has grown um, and has continued to demonstrate its worth, that those concerns are, are dissipating to a degree. Erin, what is the Australian Citizen Science Project Finder? Yeah, so this is a great website. Um, it's hosted by the ALA, um, uh, developed by the Australian Citizen Science Association. And it's a it's a way for anyone to look what sorts of projects are available to participate in. So you can search by location or you can search by species. Um, and so you can really kind of hone it down to what you're interested in. And then you can find a range of projects that are available um, to participate in. Now, if I want to sign up, do I need to have expert knowledge? No, and I think that that's really important. Um, so, but there's also a range of citizen science. So I mentioned that, you know, there's the Digival project that you can be at home for and, and you need a computer and access to internet. Um, and that ranges from, you know, participating from your desk to, you know, there's field-based projects where you might join researchers or scientists and help them with data collection. Um, so there's just a real spectrum of involvement. And so for many projects, you don't need any kind of entry skill level. 
um, there's some projects where you might perhaps need a little bit more specialist knowledge. But what we're, what we're really finding is that you may not be a professional scientist, if you will, but the expertise and the skills that communities can bring is vast. And that might be, you know, really detailed knowledge of your local environment, or you might be a really excellent birder that's been your hobby for your whole life. And so you can bring those skills and those knowledge to citizen science. I can feel that there are a great many potential citizen scientists uh, listening to our discussion. How can they get involved? Yeah, so we mentioned the um, the Australian Citizen Science Project Finder as a good way to sort of start to explore what's out there. Um, but there's an, a number of apps that you can download on your smartphone, and we have a list of those on the ALA website. And they range from generalist apps like iNaturalist to more specialized apps like Frog ID, where you take a sound recording and then that recording is verified by experts, to ones for butterflies. So there, there really is an app for any for anything. Um, so I suggest some sort of exploratory work and um, and searching, but there's definitely a project out there. Look, thank you, Erin. That was uh, Dr. Erin Roger, Senior Lead at the uh, CSIRO's uh, Atlas of Living Australia. ABCRN helps you understand the world. Find more of our stories on the ABC Listen app.